God, that's our prayer, that you would receive glory through us. As we, as we reflect you, as your grace, your power flows through our lives, as your joy overwhelms us, as your love lavishes over us and we display that to the world, that you would receive glory in the midst of all of that. God, we're so grateful to be in this place praising you, lifting up your name, celebrating who you are in your majesty and in your goodness. Now, as we turn our attention to your word, you take away the clutter from our lives, Lord, the distractions, the the things that so easily could keep us from hearing what you have to say. Holy Spirit, move in power in this room, I pray. In the heart of each person, that we could go away from this place differently because we've been in the presence of the Almighty. As we send our children off, Lord, to the classes that are prepared for them, we thank you, God, that they've been here to sing with us, to pray with us. And now as they're taught, Lord, we pray that, that the things you have for them would, um, would impact their lives as well. Thank you for those who are teaching. God, speak. Your children are listening. We pray this in your name. Amen. I invite you to be seated as the children head off to the classes that are ready for them. <clears throat> We're going to be in John 15 today. A couple of things in your bulletin I'd like to just draw your attention to if I could. Um, I notice you all running in here because, you know, the way they run to their classes, I notice you all do that coming in here too. It's really good. The yellow insert talks about the Work as Worship Retreat. That's a day uh, conference that we'll have here. Partner with Right Now Ministries on that. And so if you have a business or you're involved, it's a Friday. We'd love to invite you to come be a part of that. If you have any questions, give me a call. You can go to Right Now Worship if you have that on your computer through the church here. And you can look up uh, Work as Worship 2018 and get an idea of what this is. Really excited about this is an opportunity um, for us to learn what it means as we go out for a week of work, witness, and worship. What does it actually look like to put that all together? And then there's also the survey results from 2018 are in your bulletin, and um, so you can look that over. If you're a person who likes to compare, we have some copies of the 2017, uh, 2017 uh, survey out at the Welcome Center. Designed to Thrive has started. Uh, our overall theme for this year uh, as a church is we're going to be looking at what does it mean to delight in loving obedience. So delighting in loving obedience, and what does that look like? And, and what are we to obey, and what does obedience look like but how is it that we can have that obedience motivated by love? And so we're looking at how God has designed things to be so that as we see what those are, we can begin to step into those things. So Designed to Thrive, there's cards out there, um, and it's just a men's class and a women's class helping us know what does it mean to live in the design that God has for us as men and women and the roles that he has for us. All right. Enough advertisement. Let's get into the Word, shall we? Amen. So, um, today, Love Obeys, looking at the verse that we have for the year, Love Obeys, and I was watching Anissa sign, and as she was signing, Trust and Obeys, okay, that uh, I didn't know what the sign was for Obeys, and the sign for Obeys, let's see if I can get this right, is this. It's this, okay, so we got love, everybody knows love, right, love, 
Love, let's see. Come on, you can do it. Love, okay, obeys. Now, I'm assuming that sign comes from you know something, go do it. Is that right? Is that a good analogy? Yeah. Never knew that? Oh, yeah. Well, see, I'm glad I could help you all. Yeah. All right. Amen. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even go to school for that. All right. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. But I I just, as I looked at the sign in this, I, I looked at it and I thought, I know that this is no. So think about love obeys. Love takes what you know and puts it into action. And so we're looking at that this year in this verse that we're looking at, uh, John 14, 23, which says, you know, Jesus Jesus replied to them. um, Wow, that's really weird back there. Look at that one back there. Oh, wow, now it's bright again. Okay. All right, zero in, Chuck. Here we go. It's a long ride. Okay. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come make our home with them. And so it's this idea of what does it mean to have Christ come and make his home in our hearts. And so we looked at that last week. What does it mean to become a place where Christ makes his home? This week we're looking at the obeys piece. Because to start with, to start with obedience is to start in the wrong place. Because our obedience flows from a heart of love. And our passage today is going to make that even more clear. So today we're looking at this idea that Jesus in you and you in Jesus brings the delight of loving obedience. And uh, in John 15, 17, Jesus says, I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So think about that. What is it that brings you joy? What brings you joy? What brings joy into your life? I found this interesting story. I think it's fascinating. Kent Crockett says this. One day, my wife Cindy refueled our car at a filling station in a Texas town. Instead of driving up to the self-service pump, she accidentally pulled up to full service. She didn't realize this luxury service cost an extra 50 cents a gallon until she paid for the gas. Later, she told me how the station had hiked prices on full service. That extra 50 cents per gallon surely has to be a violation of some federal law, I thought. I quickly calculated the extra $7 she spent on full service would have taken our vehicle an additional 128.33 miles down the road if she had bought self-service gas. Right? Can you see yourself in this? Okay, can you, can you see yourself going, man, I can't believe it. I could have used that money for this. This full-service gas station robbery had me fuming for several hours. I was mulling over this terrible injustice. God showed me what I had done. I had sold my joy for $7. Ooh, right? I never realized how cheaply I would surrender something so valuable. Have you ever sold your joy for $7? Yeah, maybe less, right? Maybe more. But what is it, what is it in our lives that we allow to rob our joy? And how can we learn to live in, in, live in such a way that we can live in the joy of Christ in us? And how can that joy become complete? 
Well, John 15, I think, opens that up for us in a most remarkable way. So let's read it together, shall we? John chapter 15, starting right at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Oh, God. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for John recording this. And, and thank you for Jesus speaking these words. Father, I love that even as it was being recorded, even as it was being written, that you looked forward and knew that we'd be here today looking at it. And your word is living and active. And you have something special you want us to learn through this today. So God, take my humble attempt and use it for your glory, I pray. Amen. So, this idea that Jesus in me and me in Jesus brings the delight of loving obedience. This passage, and I hope you've been able to read the, these three or four or five chapters of John here where, where John records this final night before Jesus was betrayed. And and I think as I've been reading this and reading 1 John, I, I just feel like, I don't know for sure, but as John was writing his gospel, as he was putting it together, he saw fit to spend a great deal of time on this night, starting with the Passover as Jesus knelt down and washed the feet, demonstrating what love meant. And when we think of John, he called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And, and I think that this night, I don't know this for sure, but I think that this night had a significant impact on him. These teachings, when Jesus was with his disciples, teaching them these, these rich truths, 
And I think they impacted his life in such a way, and it, and it shows in the first, uh, the first epistle that he wrote, 1 John, how, how much this impacted his life. And so he's careful to record things for us that aren't found in any of the other Gospels. And as they're in John 13 and 14 in the upper room, and then they finish there, and then Jesus says, come now, let us leave. And they leave that upper room, and they take off. And, and they're walking, and, and we don't know where they're walking. We know eventually they'll come to the Kidron Valley and cross the Kidron Valley and, and go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Judas will betray with a kiss. But at this point in time, we don't know exactly where he is. He hasn't made it to the garden yet, but he begins to talk about the vine. And now it's hard for us to understand why would this randomly come up? But could I suggest to you that, that he's talking to these men who are, who are faithful Jewish men, and he's able to use for them the symbol of the nation of Israel, the vine. If we look at Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah says this, I will sing a song for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choices of vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. And then it tells us farther down in Isaiah 5, the, the vineyard of the Lord, almighty, is the nation of Israel, the people of Judah, are the vines he delighted in. See, this nation of Israel is the vine. In, in Psalm chapter 80, he says, Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and you took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedar with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, and its shoots as far as the river. So the, the vine is the nation of Israel, the tribe of Judah. And it was, it was the vine that he planted to bear fruit. But when he came, there was no fruit. He looked for justice and saw bloodshed for righteousness and heard cries of distress. That the nation of Israel did not bear the fruit that God had planted it to, to, to produce, to bear. So this vine motif, in, in Psalm 80, it goes on and says, watch over this vine. Return to us, God Almighty. The root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down, it is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. That's Psalm 80. You see, when we come to this place in John chapter 15, we're coming to the answer of that prayer in Psalm 80. I don't know about you, but that gets exciting. You see, the nation of Israel is the vine, but it's not bearing fruit. And the disciples would have known this, and they would have known this prayer of Psalm 80. And here comes the Son of Man, Jesus, in answer to the prayer, and he says to them, I am the vine. In, in the original language, he says, I am the vine, I am true. I am the true vine. If you remain in me, you see, the, the 
I believe the disciples would have heard this as, oh my goodness, Israel is the vine, but Jesus is the true vine. And, and through this, they would understand that as they would remain in Jesus, in the true vine, they would have borne the fruit. But now Jesus says, I am the vine. Something new is happening. He is now the vine, and it's going to be opened up beyond the nation of Israel by his grace for a season here. We're grafted into this. That's what these grafted branches mean. So we've got this vine. Jesus is the true vine. Whoever remains in him will bear the fruit. And had Israel remained in him, they would have borne fruit. But in God's redemptive plan, as he unfolds his redemptive plan through the covenants and the promises, Jesus comes and says, I am the vine. So as he talks about remaining in him, it becomes so important for us to see what do we need to do to remain in him? Because Jesus in me and me in Jesus brings the delight of loving obedience. The first thing we see is we've been appointed to bear fruit. Just as the nation of Israel had been appointed to bear fruit, we've been appointed to bear fruit. Fruit that will last, we're told. And so all through this, all through this section here in, in John chapter 15, we see this idea of becoming fruitful, even to the point where, where as we come to the Lord and as we trust him, he prunes us so that we will be more fruitful, so that we'll bear even more fruit. He says, it's to my Father's glory that you will bear fruit, much fruit. It's to the Father's glory. See, what ends up happening is is. God is waiting to receive glory, the glory that is due to him. And as we look at this passage, we see that Jesus tells us that as we bear fruit, we bring glory to God. Now, how do we do that? How do we begin to bear fruit? See, God moves in power to bring glory to himself. So he moves in power. We talked last week about what does it mean to be indwelled by God, to have God come and live in you. On, on the opposite side of your note page there, under the small group questions, there's a paragraph there. It says, last week we looked at the soils in Mark 4 and considered that a humble heart is the heart that is Christ's home. A humble heart is described as a contrite heart. Contrite literally means crushed a contrite heart is a heart that has been crushed or broken or humbled by the love of God. It's no longer suffering the anguish of feeling crushed by the weight of God's wrath against sin. It's been set free through the power of forgiveness. I think of that, that crushed by the love of God. I remember when, when I started dating Karen, and I started to, to begin to feel things I had never felt before. She had a crush on me. See, right? Have you heard that? That's what that means. Did you know that? Yeah, no, I made that up. So, but this idea of, of, of God crushing and having that crush to the place where, where we respond to that love. The heart that is Christ's home is a heart that embraces his love and it's proven by the outpouring of obedience. So, 
The Holy Spirit regenerates. God comes in and makes his home in our heart. We begin to respond to his love, and the outpouring of that is obedience. It does not mean that God waits to see who will obey to see who loves him. Rather, it means that he knows that those who love him will obey. That is the fruit. If you remain in him, you will bear fruit. You will obey, obey. And yet, keeping his commands is what helps us remain in his love. So this idea that you've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit, but you've been indwelt by the presence of God. I'm doing a new devotional this year, and so I prayed with Judith this morning that, that I could understand that I've been given the power in my life to move mountains. Think about that. Do, do you believe that? Do you believe that, that the power that you've been given, the presence of God in your life is sufficient so that you could move a mountain? Now listen, if I ask Ben, Ben, do you believe God can move a mountain? Oh yeah, absolutely. But I ask some of us who are older, we think, well, I'm not so sure. See, we have the advantage of having years to become cynical, don't we? But see, the way that he answers, yes. See, that's the power that's in you. God has come and he indwells you. He lives in you. He has made his home in you. And where he's made his home, he's brought his power. The power of the Holy Spirit is in you. And the reason that you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you is so that you can bear fruit. See, he remains in you. And he calls on you to remain in him. And as you do that, you begin to bear the fruit. And the fruit is obedience to his commands. Fruitfulness. What is fruitfulness? As we look at this passage, we think, what is it? What is the fruit? Well, when he talks about the branches... He talks about that every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. He, 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 he cuts away the dead because the fruit grows on the live so that that branch could be more fruitful. He says you're already clean because of the word. Because of the word. It's the word of God that comes into our life and, and begins to shape us and mold us. It renews our mind and gives us the proper way of thinking as, as we look at that and that we're able to bear fruit he says to, to let my words remain in you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. See, as I begin to take his word and as I begin to, to bring his word into my life and as I allow his word to begin to read me as it shapes me, as it molds me, as I understand his design for my life, as I'm able to hear his truth pour into my life and, and move away the lies that the world speaks into me, the lies that the culture, lies that Satan speaks over to me, the lies that my selfish person speaks over to me, as I'm able to push those out by bringing in the truth of God's word, see, then I'm able to remain in him. And as his words remain in me, then what happens is I begin to to bear that fruit. I begin to have that fruit born. 
It's this idea that when Jesus comes into our heart, when Christ makes your heart his home, and as I look around, I know he's done that for a whole bunch of you. I don't know all of you, but I know a lot of you. And I know that he's coming and made his home. That means his love has come into your life. He's brought his love into your life. He's brought his joy into your life. And it's there, and it can't be taken away, and it's there so that you can go and bear fruit. And then he says you can bear fruit as you remain in his love. As you remain in his love. Now, there's a verse there that talks about if you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away a wither. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. See these grapevines? If there's branches that aren't bearing fruit, they're just thrown away, thrown in the fire, and burned. Because a grapevine only has value as it's, as it's growing, as it's producing fruit. If it's not producing fruit, it doesn't have value. It's just thrown on a pile and burnt. Ezekiel 15, chapter, chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, talks about that idea of, of, a, of a burning up a grapevine. I was told after the first service that I shouldn't say that if a, if a grapevine isn't producing fruit, it's worthless because it makes nice decorations. So. so it's not worthless. But you can't make anything like hanging things on it or wood or things like that. It's not real wood. And what are the, what are the branches that are thrown out? Sometimes people get worried when they read this passage, like, can I lose my salvation? See, the idea is once Christ comes into your home, or once Christ comes into your heart, makes it his home, it's there. He's there. It's his home. But remember last week, we looked at those three, four hearts. We looked at that exposed heart, a heart that, that designed God in its own image. We looked at the selfish heart that heart that just wanted Jesus for all the stuff that, that Jesus could do for him. And then we looked at that adulterous heart, the heart that just wanted to bring Jesus and add him to all the other junk that, 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 that was worship. And see, those three kinds of hearts are not Christ's home. And so those are those branches that aren't going to bear fruit because, listen, Jesus isn't in those, in those hearts. He's not in those hearts. And so those branches are thrown out and burned. But the heart where Jesus dwells is a heart that he continues to prune so that it can bear fruit. And the way that it bears fruit is that it remains in Jesus' love. Verse, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from, apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's this idea that as I remain in Jesus' love. So how do I do that? How do I remain in the love of Jesus? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to serve the Lord. So it's hard to do the things that Jesus calls us to do. And even as I say that, in your head you're thinking, but that, that doesn't sound right. Because it should be much harder to live outside of what God's designed, right? And it is. But it's hard to live, it's hard to remain in his love. So, so here's his love. And, and Jesus, says to, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, it's there in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. 
Now remain in my love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Think about that. Think about that. As the Father has loved Jesus, Aaron, that's how Jesus loves you. Jim, that's how Jesus loves you. The same way that the Father loves Jesus is the way that Jesus loves you. Wow. What do you think of that? Huh? Have you ever thought about it? It's like, that's how he loves you. Now let me ask you a question. If Jesus loves you like that, where do you want to be? I want to be in that love. I don't know about you, but if that love is here, that's where I want to be. I want to be in his love. Listen, if the love that God the Father has for Jesus is extended to me, I want to be in that love. And Jesus is like, if you just stay in my love, you're going to bear much fruit. But listen, what do I do? I step outside of it. Why? Because it's hard to stay in his love, isn't it? It's hard to remain in his love. I've got all these things in my life. Maybe you have some things too. I think of the illustration of the Oregon Trail, you know, with the wagons. So many wagons went over the Oregon Trail that it formed ruts. They're still visible there today. And, and the wagons just go in the ruts. And it's really easy. It's really easy to be in the ruts. And so the wagons go in the ruts and they just follow the ruts. And it's like that in my life. Something comes up and, and, and I'm tempted to just get in the wagon and go in the ruts. Because it's easy. It's a path I've been down before. It's a comfortable path. But it's a path that pulls me out of his love. And so how am I going to get back? I can't, I can't get out of the ruts. The ruts are too deep. And so I need to get my wagon out of the ruts. And, and, and it's like, oh, how do I get out of this? How do I get going in the direction that God has for me? How do I, how do I, how do I obey his command so I can remain in his love? And, and as I'm looking at this wagon going down the trail, I'm just like, ah, God, I'm in a rut. And he goes, I know. How's it working out for you? What's that rut for you? What's that rut for you? What are the ruts in your life? What are the familiar phrases that you go to? Who are the, the people that you can't forgive? Who are those, what are those relationships you're held in? What is the addictive behavior that you're locked into? How easily do you go down negative thoughts? Are you, are you, do, do you gossip? Do you, what are the ways? What do you run to for comfort aside from Jesus? See, that's, that's moving outside of his love. What are those things that you step into and you get in the ruts? And you get down the road and you go, 
Jesus, I know that your love is there in the same way that the Father loves you, but help, I'm in the ruts. Repentance, you see. Repentance is crying out to God and saying, God, help me, forgive me, take me out of these ruts. And, and God comes along and he picks up the wagon and moves it over here. See, I can't get out of the ruts, but God, I have faith that he can move a mountain, he can move a wagon. Amen. And he picks up that wagon, he takes it out of the ruts. And he says, there, let's go. Remain in my love, and I climb back into his love. And I, and, I, and I step back in, and I begin to bear the fruit. Sow for yourself righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love, for the time has come to seek the Lord, that he might shower righteousness upon you. But you need to break up that fallow ground. You need to break up that heart. You need to turn to God and repent. Ask him to get you out of that rut, and you're right back in there, and you begin to bear fruit. Because you can't bear fruit apart from him. Apart from me, you can do nothing, he says. Any attempt I make to do anything for God apart from Jesus is of no value. No eternal value. It has no meritorious value. Anything I try to do from Jesus, for Jesus, for God, apart from Jesus has no value. How many things are you working on for Jesus? But Jesus isn't involved in the equation. See, that could be one of your ruts. Maybe one of your ruts is, uh, you know, I'm just going to serve, 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 serve. I'm going to serve, 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 but Jesus isn't in it. See, what, what are the ruts that you're in? Because, listen, the power of God has been placed inside of you. That's why he's made his home in you. So that you can be bearing fruit. And that fruit is obedience. You remain in his love as you keep his commands. You remain in his love as you keep his commands. Now it's interesting, he says this, he says in verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. So it's an idea, if I get out of those ruts, if I remain in his commands, and, and, and what are his commands? In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world. His commands are not burdensome. Jesus says in verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as... I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Here we go again. Jesus is the example. When you begin to look through Scripture at all the different ways that Jesus obeyed the Father's commands, it is amazing to see. As a matter of fact, in the end of chapter 14, he's talking about the prince of this world, Satan. He talks about Satan coming, and he says this. He says, Satan has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. See, Jesus obeyed the Father going all the way to the cross, and Jesus says, Satan comes after me, but he has no hold on me. He just comes so that the world can see that I love the Father and obey what's commanded of me. And then he tells us to obey in the same way. So when Satan comes after you, he's got no hold on you. He's come so that the world can see that you love the Father and that you obey what the Father's told you to do. 
He's got no hold on you. If you remain in Jesus, as Jesus remains in you, and you're able to obey, it's not burdensome. So what are the commands of the Lord? What does he command? And all through this passage, he commands us to, to love. John 13, new command I give you, you must love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. I think what he's trying to get at there, it seems, is that we're supposed to love one another. And then it goes on in, in 14 and 15 and 16 to talk about the same thing. Church history tells us that that. um, when John was evidently an old man in Ephesus, he had to be carried to the church in the arms of his disciples. At these meetings, he was accused to say no more than, little children, love one another. After a time, the disciples wearied at always hearing the same words, and they asked, Master, why do you always say this? It's the Lord's command, was his reply. And if this alone is done, it is enough. It is enough love. Love, this is my command, love each other. Bear the fruit of loving each other. The fruit that comes with that, and listen, that fruit is is prayer in Jesus' name. It's remaining in him. It's experiencing his joy and his peace and his love. And this is a spiritual experience, not an emotional experience. It's at the spirit that you experience this joy. It's, it's, It's witnessing It's telling people about Jesus. It's looking and and longing. See, if we're to love as Jesus loved, Jesus came into the world to seek and save. He came to look for those who needed to know his love. He came to be a demonstration of the love of God. Our obedience is to have that love go out. In Matthew 22, and you know this, the man came up to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? And basically, Jesus said, love God, love people. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love the Lord with everything you have. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these commandments. You see, here's the deal. We need to love God supremely and love others sacrificially. Because that's how Jesus loved us. He loved us sacrificially. And he brought his love and he sacrificed himself so that his love could be displayed to us. And as we stay in his love, we begin to look at how can we sacrificially bring his love to others. And we bring that love, listen, in word and in deed. It's not enough to take somebody, hit them over the head with the Bible you got to come alongside them as well. And it's not enough to just come alongside someone and help them and not tell them about Jesus. You're there to do it word and in deed. And that's how you display this love of God, and that's how we begin to bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So what? So what? What's a practical step you need to take to remain in the love of Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know my Jesus? If you don't know my Jesus, come up and talk to me afterwards. Talk to the person next to you. If the person next to you doesn't know Jesus, both of you get up here. All right, come on up here. If you know Jesus, then Jesus is in your heart. 
What's the step you need to take to remain in his love? What's your rut? Because he, he will move that mountain. He will pick up that wagon. If you repent, if you turn, if you say, God help me, he will move that wagon. What is that thing you need to be doing in your life? To remain in his love and to bear fruit. Love obeys. Love takes what it knows, Jesus, and puts it into action. Oh God, please have that be the case in our lives. Forgive us for the times that we've, that we've sold our joy for $7. Forgive us for the times that we've stepped outside of your love. Oh God, we turn to you. We ask you to, to take our wagons, pick them up out of the ruts. Help us to, to follow you, to remain in you, to stay in you as you stay in us. Help us to obey your commands in the way, Lord Jesus, you obey the commands of the Father. Help us, Lord, to remain in Jesus. And, and we pray that you'll bring our Jewish brothers and sisters along, Lord God, that they would know what it means to remain in this vine in an amazing and powerful way as you continue to work your plan for the future in our lives. We love you, God. And we pray this in your name. Amen.